Our sermon series um, we continue is on our life verses. So we've been introduced uh, by Louise who shared a psalm that carried her through a deep, dark experience in life. And that's what it's all about. It's having something to hold on to in your mind that really reminds you of the whole body of God's word, but it's that specific word that we remember. And we've asked different people in the congregation to share uh, a life verse uh, that they have chosen, and some have, and we've tried to preach on these uh, verses that have been selected. So uh, today we have one that two different people in our congregation selected. So I'll tell you the verse, and it is Jeremiah 29:11, and I'm, I'll read it for you. Surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Look around and tell me which of our members chose that verse. Now, since there are two of them, they have to be very much alike, right? Okay, so I will tell you, in the far left corner, Rob Ottaviano, and in the upper right corner, Alice Blackwood. Two, two twins or clones, come, come up, please. Come, come up. Alice's sister came all the way from Missouri just to hear her share this today. Louise, I'm sorry. The South is all the same to me. Come over here. Over here? Yeah. Oh, I thought I could do this from come my around. seat. No, no, I'm not, come on. You guys. You guys. You guys yeah, exactly. I, I think I'm preaching, too. <laughs> Sorry, will, will you guys come close so this mic can pick you up? Oh. And I don't have a whole lot to ask you, but, I hope not. <laughs> but <laughs> how did you get to that verse? Alice, Me? can you remember? Oh, yes, during the time that uh, we were taking care of Eric. I mean, it has started before that because that was my kind of go-to verse. Oh, she yeah. says, come closer. Yeah, but during Eric's, my husband Eric, during his illness, that was the verse that kept popping up. Oh, Even in my, in my morning devotions, that verse just sort of kept popping up. You so, don't know how it got in there. No, it's just, when okay. it, you know, reading and then it just, every so often it would pop up. And I, I said, you know, I was thinking that verse. I said, you know, this is the verse I need. God is taking care of me. He, he's providing me with a plan. I don't know what it, exactly what it is. And there's hope at the but end. But it says, yeah, and it yeah. says for your welfare, not and your not harm. And not for harm, yes. Okay. So even some of the stuff that we, we were going through, you know, is, to me it was like harm. But, you know, God had a plan. Okay. So that's my verse. Rob? You, can, can you match it? Oh, don't. I don't know if I can match. <laughs> but, uh, so for me, when I first became a Christian in 87, it wasn't mm. like how most people, when they come to the Lord, they're like excited. They're mm. like, they can't wait to go tell people and just jump right into ministry or whatever it is. That it's like, mm. like the plan was all set out. So when mm. I gave my life to Christ, I had no idea what 
it was like, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> I have Christ in my life. And I was struggling to see where is my place. And so mm. um, someone who discipled me gave me this verse and I was one of the very few prayers yes. I said in the very beginning was that God, if you could just show me your plan. Right. Mm -hmm. And just to know that it was of hope, it gave mm -hmm. me hope that he had a place for me. Yes. And if you were to tell me like I was gonna continue my drumming or mm -hmm. you know, go into evangelism or work with kids, I'd say, you're crazy. So, <laughs> but God had a plan and he knew and he, and he gave me yes. that hope. So yes. that's, mm -hmm. that's where I grew up on and this has always been my, mm -hmm. my favorite verse. Yes. So do, you, do you think that you've seen that plan that he has for you? I mean, is this the mm. payoff? Uh, I, I, I think so, and it's always ongoing, you yes. know? Yes, so okay. even No matter what stage yes. it is. Okay, it's so it's a continuing promise then. Yes, yes, okay. yes. yes. Oh, I know well, you guys that. are so optimistic, it's well, discouraging. Well, we have to be, you know? Oh, Look, okay. our church family, you know, okay. keeps us going. Okay, <laughs> well, okay, now I'm gonna puzzle over why, oh. I never heard this verse when I was a kid. I'll oh. share why that was a little oh. later. Thank you for setting us oh. up. You can, yes, you may sit down. In a, in a dark experience of, of sickness leading to loss and grief, in the experience of coming to the light, that verse had significant meaning for these two people. And uh, the verse again, Surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not harm to give you a future with hope. Now, the word plan, some of you who are over, over like 40, my age, <laughs> and, and you grew up with the King James Bible, do you remember what it says there? No? It's not memorable, I guess. It, it, it doesn't use the word plans, use the word thoughts. That you have thoughts for me. Now, that's a pretty powerful meaning. But the word plans, that says something different. And I think that's why when I was young, growing up, that wasn't on the list of favorite memory verses that we were taught to learn. But now with this, that's how powerful a, a translation can be. The actual words chosen. And it turns out that that particular Hebrew word is most often in the Bible translated thoughts. But it, it, it has a meaning of, of rational thought. Of, and the word planning is not too strong a word. Plan or design or, uh, 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 let's see, plan for, develop a, a, a rational. So it, it's not just the fact that God said, oh yeah, Arlu, I remember her. It's not just that thought. But it's the thought that goes beyond that thought. It's the thought that, really looks to the past of Arlu, the current and the present of Arlu, the next hundred years of her life. I got it. That's good, but we don't know what his plans are. Okay. 
And, and, and in a sense, the way I think both Alice and Rob took this verse, it, it, it's an answer to the, to the feeling that we have a lot of times that God has forgotten us, that we're too insignificant for God to notice what we're going through. And when that moment comes, that aha moment, whether it's in your devotional prayer as you're going through a struggle or when you're searching for personal faith, when that magic moment comes, you, 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 it just stays with you. And it's, it's important that it stays with you because there are going to be dark times when you can't remember all the love and all the blessing and all the grace you've experienced. And that verse can bring it back to you. But I want to point out that this verse is really a strong statement of God's thought for us. Not only does he have organized rational thoughts about us, but he also, uh, he, he, he also, his thoughts are profound. Now, I think the translation uh, in this verse of welfare your welfare and not your harm is weak. So let me tell you about those two words. What is the word for your welfare? It's that great Hebrew word shalom. We sometimes translate it peace, but you know it means a lot more than peace. When people who know Hebrew, when Jewish people say shalom, it's a deep, settled well-being. Not just welfare in the way we use the word welfare. So I'd like to just translate this as shalom. And if you don't know Hebrew, you go find out, and that'll help. And then the word harm, you know what the word there is? It's the strongest word in the Bible for evil. It's the word that's used for evil. It's rock bottom. So there's a strong contrast here is that God's thoughts or God's plan for you are for your shalom, not for your evil. Sometimes it just seems dark. But remember, God's thoughts for you are always for shalom. And if you're going through darkness now, it's not for an ultimate evil end. It is for an even better Shalom on the other side. So this verse is just, the more you look at it, the, the deeper it gets. And this shalom that God wishes for you, you know, desires for you, no plans for you, this will lead to a future with hope or a hope for the future. Now, this is also... A very interesting combination of words and it just it, it is future and hope and sometimes those words don't look the same to us because future looks hopeless and it's not just an afterlife future it's a, it's a future right here and now that God is focusing on for you so I told you that when I looked at it when I started hearing and I guess, Rob, you talked about 1987. It was more recent for you, but it was in your heart earlier. Um, I, as I say, when I started hearing this word, 
There may have been some Bible teacher, preacher, someone who, who was uh, discussing it a lot because I began to hear it pop up, the same verse, in a number of places. And, I, and I, I thought, where does that come from? So I looked in the Bible and I said, wait a minute. This isn't written to Alice. This isn't written to Rob. This is written to the Jewish people. And on top of that, do you know our, our modern English, as opposed to compared to the King James English, King James, if it says you, it's plural. If it says thee or thou, it's singular. But in our modern usage, you means singular or plural. So our modern translations are a little more confusing. And you can read that and think it's says I had plans for you and that's focusing on one person but it's plural it's talking to a group of people so I began to say wait a minute are, are we lifting this passage out of context and does it really apply the way Rob and Alice are preaching to me that it does so I had to look at that again so I want to take you on a journey we're going to look at a time in Israel's history, and it's known as the Babylonian exile. It's a time when the Jewish people were conquered, they were taken into exile, and this is a time when the prophet Jeremiah spoke. And this is from Jeremiah. The Babylonian captivity is seen by the Israelites as a dark moment in history. In fact, there's some really uh, radical statements in the Bible about the way the Israelites took this. It's like God brought them out of Egypt slavery and now put them back in slavery to the Babylonians. And they went back. Now, the Babylonians, uh, their policy after they conquered this stubborn little kingdom was to take the leadership people the kings and their families, the prophets and their families, the people who had the money and the land, and they brought them to Babylon, that's in what is now Iraq, brought them into Babylon and made them a subject people there. So the leadership. But they didn't take everybody. They, let, they left the little folk back there in, in Israel, in Palestine. And so... Jeremiah is writing from Israel, and he's writing to the people in Babylon who are in exile, but he's also writing to the people who are there. And there is a word for both of them. And, uh, he, uh, and he is speaking primarily to them. So let's take a little trip. The glory days of Israel were the days of King David and King Solomon. King David came onto the throne, uh, and I uh, think it's sometime around 1000 BC, maybe 970, something like that. And uh, he united the tribes which had just been ruled by their leaders all over Palestine, were not united. He brought them together and developed some power and took some other lands and the kingdom became for the first time a defined kingdom 
and had a constituency, and this this was really powerful. But he did, he ruled for forty years, and it was a time of peace and growing prosperity. And then the soul the uh, kingdom was passed on to his son, King Solomon, and King Solomon did even more. He was able, because of the prosperity, to extend the land, to make broader alliances, and to become a, not, a kind of a world power in that area. Of course, Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, they were a lot bigger, but he was respected. The Queen of Sheba came to visit him. We hear about that. And that wonderful building on the right is, is the temple. It is not built under King Solomon's rule, and it was a the center of Israel's faith. And Solomon reigned for about 40 years. So add up David and Solomon, you've got about 80 years, and that's the glory time of Israel. From then on, it was downhill. From then on, you had fighting, power struggles, you had a divided kingdom for the next 200 years as Two of Solomon's sons struggled for power, and then their heirs took over. There was compromise spiritually from the religious high of the temple days, and uh, there were uh, all kinds of returns to paganism. The law was even forgotten. And then they started paying for it. So in, in uh, 721 BC, uh, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria, and then the southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon, the period we're talking about, in 586. Those are important days. So in 586, we're going to look at the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And that was an awful time. We see the people leaving. A lot of them were exiled to Babylon. Others went to Egypt, the place they had previously been slaves, to look for uh, some acceptance politically. Uh, they didn't know what to do. And the climax was the destruction of the temple, that great building which symbolized the faith of Israel was destroyed in 587. And that is marked as one of the darkest times. So we have a slide here that kind of summarizes the history of Israel. So you can get my point. Okay. The, the, God gave the law to Abraham. We're estimating 2000 BC. Nobody knows for sure. Then Moses is the next crystallized moment when the law comes. God gave the covenant, made a covenant with Abraham. He gave the law to Moses. And this is about 1250 BC. Then you have 300 years of chaotic tribal rule, just little groups struggling against each other. 300 years after the law was given, no clear focus on where to worship. The tabernacle had been there, okay? And then finally, we get to the glory days. King David, King Solomon, a broad land area, the uh, temple built, everything was the way we thought God wanted it to be. That magic moment, 
like the one that Alice came to and Rob came to. I want you to think of that as the magic moment. That lasted 80 years. But after that, you had this gradual fall into chaos, another 350 years as first the northern kingdom, then the southern kingdom. And then the Jews were allowed to go back gradually, never became as good as the glory days. They always had that memory, feeling they'd never quite made it. And then finally, the last line, Jesus' ministry, A.D. 30. So here's what I'm trying to show you. The time between Abraham and Jesus was pretty much the same as the time between Jesus and us. During that time, that 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus, Israel had 80 good years. So now, think about your life, Alice, Rob, all of us. You know, there is that magic moment, but in between, there are times of struggle, there are times of chaos, there are times when we feel let down, when we have to hold on to the image of the glory days. That's why this verse is important. That's why seeing it in context is really helpful to us. No, it's not just about you, but it's about the bigger you, the plural you, and that's God's promise for everyone. Jeremiah was in Israel at that time. He was known as the sad prophet because he had sad news. But his sad news included a promise of hope. There was nostalgia for that tiny moment of history under David and Solomon, that 80 years. But their plans now were going down the drain. The city was destroyed. The temple was burned. The people were dispersed. All that they had thought was going right was falling apart. But then God said, in today's verse, Surely I know the plans I plan for you. Plans for your shalom and not for more hurt and confusion and evil. To give you a future with hope. So this, this comes in a moment of darkness. In a moment of failure, in a moment of weakness. And this ought to be an encouragement to us as we hold on to this blessing. Israel was a mess when Jeremiah said this. One of his darkest times. But one brief glimpse that they had in the past, they held on to. And that gave them hope. They were left with nothing but longings for what might have been if-onlys. And yet, God has a plan for you. Did God ever think of us anymore? Oh, yes, God has a plan for you, to the people in exile, for the people struggling in the darkness. So I want to read the context for you so you get this. In Jeremiah 29, the first three verses, he names a bunch of leaders that he's writing to. Uh, we don't have to do all of that. But beginning in verse 4, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice, I have sent. You think that that enemy power has lorded it over you, but I'm in control. Verse 5. What is his advice? Rebel? Repent? Whip yourself? Listen to his advice. In verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives or husbands, as the case may be, and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Okay. You're in a land of, might have been, and maybe someday will be, Settle down right where you are. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's the advice God gives. He said, stop being ang- anxious. Stop trying so hard. And, and, and just trust me. Build houses. Plant gardens. Have families. Have children. Have children's children. It's not going to happen quickly. In fact, the, the city where you now live, he says in verse In verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Don't think of them as the enemy. Those people around you who are causing you discomfort, just accept it. Seek the welfare and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What interesting advice. Settle down, settle in. It's going to be a while. How long? Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He actually says 70 years. Boy, that's hopeful to me. In 70 years, everything's going to be all right. No, it's hopeful for my grandchildren. Settle in, and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place, this place, to the glory days, to David, to Solomon, to the thing that you're longing for, to all your heart is finding, feels missing, I'll bring you there. For surely, and here's our verse, now it comes, verse 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. I will let you find me. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations, all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. So, guys, if God can do this for the mess that was Israel, he can do it for you and for you and for me.
the spiritual moment of discovery that means so much to you, that magic moment, hang on to it. Remember it. It is a reassurance that God has plans for you. You may never see his plans, but God has plans for you. So in context, in the context of God speaking to Israel, this is even more powerful than if it was just a private word to you. Because you can see how grand and magnificent God's plan is, and you're part of it. So Alice and Rob, if you're in a ruined city, I know, I haven't seen your house, I'm not talking about that. If you're in a ruined city, if sometimes you feel like you're in exile in a strange land, what does God say? Be a rebel, stand up for justice. No, he says, settle down, relax, live your life here and now. I've got you. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you for everything. Thank you, Lord, that you settle our souls when we are anxious. Thank you, Lord, that you are the planner for our lives, not our feeble minds. We trust you, even if it doesn't happen fast, that it's going to happen because it's up to you and not up to us. Thank you for your grace and love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.